Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you a conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Yes, they certainly do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week, available everywhere you get your podcast. And don't forget to check out our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is recorded at two separate studios in Northern Illinois. We send the audio down to Lando Lakes, Florida, to Berserk Productions where you will find our executive producer, Mr. Brad Nearman. Hey, Brad, thanks for everything. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnson from St. Croix, Joe O'Pogger, Director of Communications for Major League Fishing. Are you going to tell us what the new season is going to be all about and talk about the Red Crest Championship coming up? It's less than, uh, it's less than three months away, Red Crest, yeah. Fishing, uh, open water fishing season starting up again. Looking forward to it. A little bit later, I will sit down with Brian Bro Brosdahl. Yeah, bro. He is the man when it comes to ice fishing. Whether you have ice or not, uh, Brian Brosdahl will teach you about uh, how to catch them through the ice. And you know, a lot of his tips for ice fishing relate to open water as well. So pay attention when Brian Bro Brosdahl speaks. He is the man. But first, let's flip it over to Dave Kranz, who is going to introduce you to Mr. Dan Johnston. Have at it, guys. Have a great week. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. How are you? I am doing good. You know, all fall... I had customers coming in, pulling in with their boats. They had a bucket, and, and they came in, and they said, yep, this is going to be the last time I'm out. And for about six weeks, it seems like I heard that into December about one more time, one more time. And, and they kept going because things didn't freeze up, and it didn't get cold, and they could go fishing. And, and some of these guys experienced some pretty good walleye bites, crappie bites, uh, even bass bites late, late into the season. And now where the most of this country is frozen at zero or, you know, minus 20-something up on the Canadian border, northern Minnesota, North Dakota, New York, everywhere else is, is bitterly cold. And, and even down into the uh, mid part of the country in Kentucky and Tennessee and Oklahoma, they got some pretty cold temperatures. And uh, I think you have some uh, information you'd like to uh, share of, of what you think that does to the fishing. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Dave. We came up with this topic, what, 10 seconds ago? <laughs> so it's not something that we certainly uh, were, were, I didn't premeditate what I wanted to talk about here, but it's a really interesting topic because, it, it, you know, for example, I was down on Lake of the Ozarks between Christmas and New Year, and it was 65 degrees out, and the water was in the mid-50s after Christmas. And that's only five hours south of where I live here in Iowa. Yeah. Now... It, it's, it, it was it was minus two real temperature two nights ago. I talked to my cohorts in Park Falls, Wisconsin. It was minus 22, and I'm not talking about wind chill. 
real temperature up there so obviously we're all frozen over here so a great topic for the angler the those of the, the folks listening out there what does it do to the fish when it stays warm for so so long and then all of a sudden the bottom drops out of it and a couple things that you know, and it, one of the reasons this is a cool topic is we had this conversation. Number one, I had it with my buddies down at the lake, but also I've been asked quite a bit around here, you know, what, what, what does it do to the fish? So a couple things, you know, Dave, one, one thing you and I would be the first to admit, we certainly don't have all the answers. And I think the fun part about this podcast is sometimes we, more times than not, we're injecting our opinion based on what we've experienced in the past or what information we've gathered from those that do it even at a higher level than we do. So at first thought, I would say this. Whether you're white-tailed deer, because I, I can relate this during the rut for sure, whether it's warm or not, they still are in the rut. They just are. It's that time of year. It's that master plan. And I think fish do the same thing. I think even though the water's still warm, you're going to find their they're pre-programmed to start to do the things that they're supposed to be doing in December in Iowa. You know, so I had that mindset. Number one, there's, are they going to be bait centric? Absolutely. They were bait centric. Are they going to be relating to migratory Creek channels? Absolutely. They were, are, were they a little shallower than I thought they'd be? Yes. Cause the water was warmer, but I was still catching them close to deep water. I'm talking crappies here, deep water, close to channel migratory routes towards the backs of the coves, but they weren't all the way in the backs of them. So I would think we'd want to steep, still keep our head around what the fish really think they're supposed to be doing from a pre-programming standpoint. But we also need to address the reality of the fact that it's just flat out warm. And now that it's got super, super cold, I think we're finding fish that are still set up in the same pattern they were in before the ice went over the top of the lake. And for those of you in the South, it's been a radical change because it went from zero to 60 like that. And that's a tougher situation, in my opinion, in open water than even when the ice is over it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, and uh, if you think about Florida and the Southern states that uh, they still experience a winter, they still experience less hours of daylight and, and the weed growth, the, it, everything still goes through that cycle and you have that downtime. But I think in the places that we get the drastic frozen, you know, less light penetration to not have that and extend that out, um, yeah, you, you, you have to use your brain a little bit and start thinking about, okay, where did they go or where are they going to go? Of course, we're going to look where we think they're going to be. And, and uh, then you have to make decisions like you did, you know, the, okay, shallower water, but close to deep water or, uh, and bait. I, I don't think you can ever go wrong with staying on the bait. In the fall, and I got lucky because I landed on them and we did great, smoked them, big ones. It was awesome. And and I think there were times where in normal circumstances, if it would have been the standard, you know, 40 degrees down there with evenings that get in the upper 20s and your water's upper to mid 40s, I'd have been fishing this same pattern. And that's my whole point. So I didn't necessarily go off the water temperature at all. I went at where I thought they should be this time of year. And, you know, I, I'm going to go way, way, way out on a limb here. But And I have no data to back this up, but I, I do have a lot of experience talking to people that fish in the deep south way more than I do, especially let's, let's talk about Florida. One thing I've been told is in a massive cold front, a bass won't eat a bait if you throw it in its mouth in Florida. They're very, very, very affected by cold fronts. In my opinion, from what I've gathered by hearing that and experiencing it, 
I don't know if fish are affected as much in the upper Midwest in a cold front in the fall as they are in the south. I could be wrong, but they certainly don't seem to be around here with buddies of mine smoking them on farm ponds through the ice when it's zero degrees. And it was literally in the 50s a week and a half ago. Yeah, no, and, and even think of the open water smallie guys, sometimes those high-pressure cold front bluebird days in the fall, it doesn't make any difference. When they're bulking up and they're feeding, they're, it, it, I, I think you you might be right. I, and once again, you know, as you said, this is our opinion, And but when thinking about it, I, I think that's probably a very good observation. Well, all I know is in the South, a cold front comes in, I get it handed to me. I can't catch one, it, no matter what I do, and it doesn't seem to be just me. And it seems to be a little hangover, and, and all of a sudden you can start catching them again, where, you know, up in the northern part of the country, that, that, that shut down, butt-whooping cold front thing doesn't seem to last as long. Sometimes you can catch them right through it just by simply downsizing. You know, so I think the, 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 the long story short here is we had a very delayed warm weather indian fall whatever you want to call it way into you know christmas time dave we had no snow up here in iowa and it was in the 50s yeah which is unbelievable so the, the moral of the story i think based on what i experienced this year try to get your mind around what those fish should be doing if it wasn't an anomaly of temperature and i think they're just pre-programmed to start those moves no matter what. And deer hunting is what taught me that, Dave, because I sat in a tree stand this year and I was in a t-shirt with a light leaf suit over it and I had big bucks chasing does uh, in that warm weather. And that's because of time of day. It's because of time of year. It's just when those does go into estrus. And I think from a fishing standpoint, again, total guess, but you look at that time of day deal, you look at the fall, they know winter's coming, at least I think they do. And they kind of start to make those moves. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Now we we've only had ice for about a week. I haven't had a whole lot of reports coming back in my retail environment because everybody's been going for the first time and and getting out there. So I'm going to get what they did this weekend, next weekend, and find out what they did on that on that days. Do you know? I guess we could also say did did the late freeze change the way we normally fish first ice? That could be it. Could be the same scenario as having the longer fall. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I got asked that by a couple people that I know that were going ice fishing. I said, what do you think? And I again, I don't have all the answers, not even close. But here's one thing I did say. The, the fact that it was super warm just a couple weeks ago leads me to believe that we might not have had the complete vegetation die off that we normally would have in normal circumstances where it's ice over the water in Thanksgiving or before. I know we were catching fish shallow just up until not that long ago. So if I were going ice fishing, I wouldn't abandon those weed bits. At least this year might be a gold mine for that. Again, I have no feedback coming back yet. But that's that's kind of where our mind needs to be to kind of think blue sky. Think out of the, out of the box a little bit. on Maybe we want to start there because that really makes sense to me. It does. It does. And, and these, these are the kind of uh, podcasts that we do that we, we both... Uh, we talk about what we what we learn by by bringing this up and having this conversation, and hopefully that the uh, uh, the listeners are doing the same thing. But it's yeah, it's 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 all interesting when it changes like that, and and we may not have this same scenario for a decade or ever, but but at least I think it helps getting people to thinking 
about whatever is occurring at the time and maybe why they're not catching fish or what's going on, why I'm catching so many? Yeah, again, all these are just ideas that, that you know, we've thrown out and few people in my circle of fishing friends, we've discussed these things, whether they'll come to fruition or not, who knows, but the great thing is somebody will figure something out and that's how we all learn. Then it's a cut, copy, paste going forward. I know Dave, you're like me. I keep good notes on what I've done in the past and why I've caught them in certain scenarios because I do believe there's a reason for these things and, and if you can apply it going forward, the next time we get in a situation where it's super warm and when we're sitting over the Thanksgiving table and Extending into Christmas, we'll say, hey, you know what? I tried that back in 2022, early in the year, and it worked. And maybe I'll try it in 2027. I I like that uh, mentality, and I agree with it 100%. And I truly appreciate uh, your opinions and your ideas. And uh, love having you on the podcast. So uh, we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thank you for being on again. Thanks so much, Dave. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Cran. Steve Siley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Starley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say the guest I have on this uh, segment, is they have a passion for the outdoors. They, they live it. They breathe it. And uh, my next guest has been on uh, before. He is Joe Opager. He is Director of Communications for Major League Fishing. Welcome back, Joe. Hey, how are you, Dave? I am doing good, and uh, and I think um, Major League Fishing and uh, uh, is doing good too. You guys, uh, uh, I I fish the Northern Division, and those those uh, fields seem pretty solid last year. Lots of people getting in them. Uh, uh, people that returned from year one of the COVID. People who are new. A lot saw a lot of new new guys that I didn't see before and names. Um, tell us a little bit about the, you know last year and uh, what we have to look forward to in twenty twenty two. 
Absolutely. Well, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, that northern division of the Toyota series uh, was phenomenal. I mean, we saw record participation across all of the divisions of the Toyota series. It was our, one of the most uh, you know, most participated in uh, seasons in MLF history. And that's dating back to, you know, the FLW days back to 1996 when Erwin Jacobs first purchased Operation Bass. I mean, since every record that we have, uh, you know, the the Phoenix Bass Fishing League and the Toyota Series smashed records for participation last year. So it was just a great season and a great way to kind of come back from uh, 2020, which was kind of a, a nightmare COVID scenario, you know, and I know we're not out of the woods yet, of course, with COVID, um, but you know, with some of the, uh, you know, implementations that we've made and, you know, following the direction of our, of our tournament directors and, and executive staff, you know, we're able to put on these great events and, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of success in the past year with people coming back out and getting back on the water fishing. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, knowing from what I was able to sign up very early in the game for the for that Northern Division, again, I got confirmation only for the Potomac, the other two not yet, so th- there's got to be a lot of people getting in. Definitely. I mean, uh, some of the fisheries that we travel to, we're hitting them at the peak times. Uh, you know, Michael Maloney and Chris Hoover, who, who create the schedules each year, uh, you know, they work extremely hard to get everything coordinated across all the circuits, but, you know, it, it was just a fantastic year. We saw some great fishing and uh, just some awesome participation numbers, and we're expecting a lot of the same here for 2022 as we get fired back up. Excellent, and it's a, it is a, a true path to uh, getting experience in there from high school, collegiate to the BFLs uh, to the Toyotas, and it, as you move up, you can you, you can see the path and you can gain experience, uh, you know, right from the high school level. Absolutely, and it's funny you mention that because as we kick off our season, you know, that's we were just wrapped up uh, this past weekend our first events of the year, which was a high school, college, and uh, BFL event, you know, the high school and the college kids were down at the Harris Channel Lakes, fishing down in Leesburg and catching some Florida Giants, and then we fired up our our Bass Fishing League series as well, and that was over at Sam Rayburn, you know, so January at Sam Rayburn is uh, always a lot of fun. It was kind of tough this year. I think the winner had just under 20 pounds, which was pretty unique. Usually, it's going to take at least 20 pounds to win there, but, you know, both events had uh, great participation, and it was just a great way to kick off our season and, and get that momentum rolling for 2022. That's excellent. I had a, uh, a guy in here that uh, isn't going to college. He's going into the trades, and he said, boy, what a disadvantage I have to not be able to fish on a college team. I said, wait, 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 wait a second. You can go in and jump into a BFL, and you want the competition, and you want that. that there's your growth. You still can do it without, be, just because you're not in college and you're not getting, uh, you know, maybe you, he, I think he had a high school team, but then uh, went into the trades, but jump in those BFLs because those competitions are the, most of the time, the top 30 or 40 studs in that area, and you're fishing against top level talent. Absolutely. I mean, we, since we implemented, you know, those, the college and the high school leagues and, you know, late 2000s, you know, 2009, 2010, you know, it, it's, become a huge success and a lot of the guys are coming up through those ranks uh but that doesn't mean everybody is you know the bfl series is the path for the weekend angler and i would estimate you know of the top level guys that are fishing the bass pro tour and the tackle warehouse pro circuit 
you know, of the guys coming up, like only about 50 to 60% are coming from those college fishing ranks. So a lot of guys are still coming up, you know, the traditional way through the BFL series. And, it, and you know, it all starts, if you don't even own a boat, you can fish BFLs. You get in as a co-angler and you're still getting paired with the best local anglers, you know, in that area. So they're, you're going to learn a lot about fishing, uh, you know, and you, and you can really truly work your way up from the very bottom. You know, you can win a boat through the BFLs as a co-angler. You can start fishing as a boater and then from there move up to the Toyota Series, Tech Warehouse Pro Circuit, and eventually to the Bass Pro Tour. So it does really offer a natural pathway for anglers of all different skill levels. Yeah, and as a, uh, a point to what you just said, I've interviewed Trey McKinney on this show. He's a high school kid, and uh, I believe he's a sophomore in high school. He jumped into the BFLs down in Southern Illinois, and he's 16 years old, and he was angler of the year in that division, and, and those guys were floored, all the old-timers there, that, that this kid came and kicked their butts. <laughs> it's really fun to see and Trey's story was a lot of fun you know we, we noticed that as well and yeah I believe that was a record as the youngest angler of the year in, in Major League Fishing history across any division um, so so Trey's story was a lot of fun for us to follow as well and it just goes to show you like how talented some of these young anglers are and I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot about Trey as he moves up through the circuits in the years to come yeah he was talking about uh, trying to pick, pick a division uh, one, of, one of the two Toyota series and uh, you know asked me what kind, what the lakes were like on the, on the northern I said boy I don't know if I really want you to come up there I said <laughs> he's that good he is that good and he, um, he let me test drive his charger before I went into a charger boat and that's how we got to know each other pretty well uh, but uh, and being in Illinois you know it was easy I could he came up a couple hours I went down a couple hours and I looked at looked at the boat but uh, uh, so tell us about 2022 it's already started but um, um, we also got something really big coming up here real quick, the Red Crest. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've kicked off, you know, with some of our, our, our smaller circuits, you know, the high school and the college leagues, but but the pros are getting ready to go as well. You know, we're kicking off uh, the end of this month at Sam Rayburn with the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit. January 27th through 30th will be uh, at Sam Rayburn will be the first event of the year. And then that following weekend, the Bass Pro Tour is kicking off over in Louisiana. Uh, so, I mean, it's getting ramped up. And of course, you know, one of the things that we're most looking forward to is the Red Crest, as you mentioned. That is the Bass Pro Tour Championship. Uh, we've got a field of 40 anglers that qualified for the event um, based on their performance in the Bass Pro Tour last year. Uh, and, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma is, is the home of Major League Fishing. So to be, bring our championship event home to Tulsa and to be able to put on our, our outdoor expo, which is going to be the first real one that we've ever been able to have. You know, Red Crest, this will be the, the third Red Crest event. But the past two of them have been very, very affected by COVID. And we haven't been able to really roll out the show like Major League Fishing has wanted to. Well, this year, we finally get to do that in Tulsa, and it's something we're so excited and looking forward to. Uh, you know, March 25th through 27th, over that weekend, we're going to have a massive outdoor sports expo. It's going to be the biggest outdoor show in, in Tulsa all year long. Uh, you know, oh, we're going to have the best anglers in the world. You know, all the celebrities from the outdoor world are going to be there. Guys like Bill Dance, Jimmy Houston, you know, those guys. And we're going to have a major country music artist performing on Sunday. So uh, we're not quite ready to announce uh, who exactly is going to be performing yet. But 
coming very soon and a lot of people are going to be very happy so it's just going to be the biggest watch party in the industry and the celebration of major league fishing and our anglers and it's something uh we're really looking forward to no doubt yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I I just think that the uh, the whole organization and and at the time that the uh, FLW and Major League Fishing uh, became one, uh, you hit you hit a lot of uh, stumbling blocks in front of you that were you know nobody could predict what was going to happen. But but as things get better and as we come out of uh, uh, any kind of pandemics or anything else, I the the it's going to get better and it's going to be more attended. And I think uh, there's a lot of people interested in, in fishing at these higher levels. And I, and I'm glad that you had mentioned the co-angler where you don't even need a boat. You can just show up and, and uh, you know, you can eventually get to know somebody that you can get paired up if you're going to do the whole division so that you know, you're going to get to get in. But in most cases, um, it doesn't seem like there's that many guys that sign up that don't get in. Somehow it always seems to work out boaters and, and co's. Yeah, and that's truly a credit to our tournament directors and operations staff that run these events. I mean, when they see kind of the the big you know despair or the, the big differences basically between you know the number of boaters and the number of coings events, they go to work recruiting and working the phones, and they're calling everybody trying to you know get those fields as even as possible, so that way everybody that does want to fish gets to and of course you know there are a couple times each year where they're not exactly able to make it happen or uh, you know we have had to go you know to in very very rare circumstances to you know a boater boater paired format or something where two boaters are paired together but again that's extremely rare and our guys always try their hardest to not make that happen and you know 95 percent of the time if you sign up and you know pay your entry free when to do and log in and just register as normal you're going to get to go fishing and it's always a lot of fun and there's nothing nothing that can beat that experience of catching a big bass but then getting to bring it to the weigh-in stage and show it off to a crowd and that feeling of you know just pride and passion like that's what it's really all about and you know that dave i mean that's something that you've experienced quite a bit over the years and, and the, uh, the the bucket list places you can go to, uh, uh, like the ones I'm doing, the Thousand Islands and Lake Champlain and the Potomac River. And, you know, we fished the uh, St. Clair. We fished Sandusky in Ohio there. We fished, you know, Buffalo, New York. I mean, it's pretty neat to be able to go to these quality, quality fisheries and, and not only just watch people fishing them on TV, but get to do it yourself. And I, I would definitely, uh, I have never been paired with anybody i'm on my fifth year of going into doing these and i've always gotten in so there there's a testament to getting in and joe it won't be the last time we have you on and i'd like to thank you for being on the podcast again and uh look forward to talking to you next time oh of course dave thank you so much for having me i'm willing to come back for you guys anytime and uh definitely want want to come back real soon and talk a little bit more about Redcrest and maybe even get the champion on. There you go. That would be excellent. We look forward to that. Thanks, Joe. All right. Take care. You also. That was Joel Pogger. He's Director of Communications for Major League Fishing. I am Dave Cran. Steve Siley is remote. And this segment of the We Fish ASA podcast was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. We will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate 
of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is not here. He is remote. We're still uh, under COVID restrictions. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. As a guest today, we've got one of my favorite anglers on the planet and uh, one of the few that we have all year that we can talk to 12 months and they're actually still fishing. Yeah, everybody's got their, their rods stored and put away waiting for uh, warm water, but, but this guy lives and breathes for ice. Uh, he's a fantastic open water fisherman, but they don't come any better when it comes to the very unique sport of ice fishing than our next guest, the one and only bro, Brian Brosdahl. Hey, bro, how you doing? Hey, doing good. Thank you. Hey, I'm I'm, I'm glad to uh, I'm glad to hear it. I say, if you look up uh, ice fishing in in a dictionary, uh, and uh, for those uh, who are you know younger than than fifty, a dictionary is a book that's got every word in the world in it. Uh, there's no definition. There's just a picture of Brian Brosdahl. Because bro is the face of ice fishing, in my in my opinion. <laughs> wow! How do you follow that? I, I, you can basically say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I deserve all the notoriety I get." Go ahead, say that. Go, go ahead, Brian. No, you you won't because <laughs> because you're very humble. Uh, but but seriously, uh, a lot of people north uh, in in the country will ice fish and they enjoy it because it extends your season you've got 12 months to fish uh people who don't get their uh, waters iced over don't know what we're talking about but you unlike a lot of people who look at ice fishing as a bonus you actually look forward to ice fishing as your favorite time of the year it's your favorite way to fish isn't it yeah i absolutely love ice fishing uh it's very special there's there's rarely a time you can get where the fish are right underneath you. Uh, you're not casting out to them. They're underneath your feet, and it's just fun, and it's very technical with electronics. 
you know, uh, my Hummingbird Live, my AquaView camera, all that stuff. I can see the fish. I can watch them. It's very interesting watching their behavior and then tricking them to bite. They don't always bite. It doesn't matter what what uh, kind of technology you got. You still got to make a meat, and that's the fun. That's the that's the chase, you know, and uh, that's what makes it interesting. But on the ice, it's uh, you got this big open lake. There's no limitations to who can go or how you can go. You can walk out there. You can take a machine. You could take, uh, right now we're able to drive trucks. We got a lot of snow, so the resorts fall roads. And uh, it, there's, there's nothing like it. Ice fishing just enables more people to go. You don't need a boat. Like in the summer, you got a boat. You ain't getting out there. But here, if you have the will, you can walk. Uh, or take a, a quad or a snowmobile, whatever, but you can get out there. So that's the most important thing. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Access is so important. We always talk about, you know, with American Sport Fishing Association, uh, you know, keeping, uh, keeping access, gaining access, making sure that there aren't restrictions to waterways is important, but there are places you can't fish uh, for, for whatever reason, re- restrictions or uh, uh, the location. And ice fishing gets you onto water that is not available during the open water season in a lot of cases. I'm a big fan of, uh, of the kayak fishing because you can get on the, to, to water and reach spots that you can't uh, get to without a kayak. Ice fishing puts you on a lot of water that you can't get to when there is no ice. Well, it, and that's just it, too. Is, uh, you can use kayaks up here, too. People are really starting to love them, but... You know, the thing with ice, ice tames larger lakes, too. Uh, it, you know, some of these lakes you're fishing are 60,000 acres up here, <laughs> 100,000 acres. And when you're ice fishing, you're not going to get blown off. You do have to be aware of pressure ridges and cracks and stuff. But once you read ice, you don't have to worry about that. But you can go on a, on a big body water, and it's, it's a little bit tamer. Uh, you know, yeah, we do have cold weather, but you can control your comfort level with the heater at a house. Do you have uh, do you have uh, uh, waters that never freeze over? Well, yeah, you know the uh, large waters, and you know you get a little wind. But I always I've been using my variable houses, and uh, and then uh, they have insulation, so uh, it, it's a totally different world than grumpy old man. It's more like <laughs> happy happy. Old men, no. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they were not that grumpy when they were fishing. You know, it was it was off the water. Take a look <laughs> at that. That's the problem here. You, you, off the water kills you. No, no. no but I, I'm saying d- down here, and we're, I'm in northern Illinois. Uh, probably the 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 best lake, uh, the the number one lake in within two hours of me is Lake Geneva in southern Wisconsin. It's a huge lake and. Oftentimes, uh, when there's 12 inches of ice just down the road, uh, Geneva's not frozen over. There'll be uh, open water out in the middle of it. Uh, as far north as you are, do you see that too, or does everything freeze up? Well, you know, that's, that's the thing here too. It's very similar to that. You, you still got to be cautious and you access where you can. And, uh, uh, there's still a lot of fish biting near shoreline areas, and people are going driving right past them, um, which is fine with me. But it, 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 ice is different everywhere. Remember, remember when you're accessing ice, it's the age of the ice. The older the ice, 
the more safe it is. And if you get hard black ice, it floats. And, uh, you know, there's, there's crazy uh, things about ice. If you have eight inches of ice in a small vehicle and you cut around that vehicle and just had it on a sheet of ice, yeah. a small sheet of ice, it would float. But uh, where people go through and stuff like that, it's just from, you know, where, where the crack's broken a little bit farther and you just got a smaller piece and you could just roll in. But, you know, that's the neat thing about here. Uh, ice fishing is such a big thing in this area that the resorts go out and they have crews that check things out, check things out and uh, they survey it and they make sure it's safe. And still, every now and then stuff happens like uh, the few incidents that do happen. There was a, a big a warm water discharge on Lake Bemidji where that one truck went through, and but everybody knows it, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. somebody did, you know. So, but outside of that, if you look at all the, the other things in ice, uh, if you've never been, go with somebody or go to a resort and listen to what they say. The only people that get into trouble are the ones that they, they don't want to listen. They want to go farther or they want to go off the beaten path. Well, if you're going to do that, bring a shovel for one thing <laughs> or bring a friend with another vehicle and a tow strap. But ice fishing is about fishing. It's not about being stuck all day. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't imagine. All right. I, I don't want to throw you under the bus, but I got to ask have you ever gone through the ice, bro? Uh, I've actually, uh, I fell, fell through the ice uh, in uh, uh, by shore coming off. Yeah. You know, where you get, like, you just step up to your knee boot. And a uh, uh, long time ago when I was out on the ice, I was using a chisel and I was chopping my way and chopping my way. And as I was going, uh, I kind of went past. And there was a, a fresh crack that froze, and we had light snow. And uh, I just got ahead of my chiseling, and, and I bopped through, but I, I came back out real quick. But I, even then, I had uh, safety equipment with me, chisel, spikes, and all that stuff. And if you bring it, it, it it's, a, it's like uh, karma. You know, you're, you know if you're going to have all the safety stuff, nothing's going to happen. But if you don't bring it, I mean, most of the stuff we hear about up here throughout the whole area are people who didn't even bother to bring spikes to, to get out of the ice. Spikes are better than trying to use your fingernail. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't even imagine that. That's and it's not it's not funny. And uh, and you're right about about the karma. You know, if you want to catch your personal best fish, leave, leave your camera and your phone on the shore. Because then you're gonna you're gonna catch something memorable and you'll have no record and everybody will think you're lying for the rest of your life. But but that's a karma thing too. When you don't have it, is when you're gonna most need it. Uh, I said before about accessing water that normally isn't available to be accessed. Um, that's good and bad because one, you're like a kid in a candy store. Oh, I've always wanted to fish this uh, this lake that's semi-private. There's no boat access, whatever. I can't fish it, but now I can walk onto it that there's ice. That's a great bonus. But on the other hand, should you really do that? Because you don't know anything about that lake. Are you better off fishing water you're familiar with and you know better? Yeah, well, that, that's just it. And, dude, just to, you know, go on what you just said here, too, is, you know, there's there's lakes here that there's no way you could fish in open water. Right. In the wintertime, you could take a snowmobile right across the bog because it's all frozen and private access. You know, is 
it means that they, they limit where you could dump a boat usually, but in the wintertime, there, there really isn't any private lakes unless they're completely owned like a farm pond. And, uh, but I always try to have ease of access close by. So if I'm on a lake, I look at maps and it isn't like the old days. We got Google Earth. We got, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lake Master has uh, maps that you can put on your phone. You can study your map before you even leave. Uh, it's a different world, but always look on the charts, no matter what state you visit, whether it's Minnesota, Dakotas, Wisconsin, their DNRs are very uh, ahead, and they, they list what's in a lake. Uh, so you might be going to a lake, and the fish might not exist where you're going that you're after. So it's good to study and make sure that there's stocking reports, there's uh, test netting surveys, what kind of size pike are in there, what, what kind of bass. It's really unique, and, uh, uh, you know, more often than not, I get caught up in chasing walleyes and perch because that's what people want in the wintertime. But when I get time off, you know, I'm chasing panfish. I love crappies and bluegills, and uh, and catching big ones is fun. I throw the big ones back. I keep the medium-sized ones because uh, they're, they're just fun to catch, and I'm not out to, uh, to damage the lake. Unbelievable. And... Uh... Yeah, you, you, you certainly can. I, I didn't really take notice. There was a story on uh, uh, the news on one of the social media sites about somebody got busted for uh, being 152 crappies over the limit. Uh, boo, that, that's uh, that's horrible. And I, I don't think that is particular to, uh, to ice fishing. It just seems like guys are easier to catch uh, ice fishing uh, by, by the DNR than they are in open water. But... Uh, just because you're on a good bite doesn't entitle you to uh, any more fish because you're braving the elements. It's the same rules all the time. So you know, take take your limit, take what you can, take what you can eat, put the rest back, right? Well, absolutely. Uh, we see it all the time. You know, if you look at <clears throat> they call it cuffs and collars up here. The people that <laughs> that get busted, and you know, it's just a small percentage that get busted, and it's like you know. There's things called grocery stores, and, yeah. and you know, it, it just is. I mean, you take ten guys, and 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 nine will be happy just to be out there, and they'll keep a meal of fish. But others, you know, you, you just can't you can't stop it. It's going to happen. That's why uh, it's good to have enforcement around because. Uh, but you don't, you know. Here's the thing: eat what you want to eat, but throw back bigger, older fish because. You know, I mean, there's, they're not going to taste as good. Right. Uh, but I, I'm not against people eating fish, but there's no reason to be a pig either. A fish pig, game hog, um, uh, it doesn't help anybody. Uh, you know, so, but get out and fish. And if you want to keep fish, there's, there's, there's charts that tell you what is good to keep. Like in my area, we're, we kind of have a, a rare amount of giant bluegills. We don't have them real thick like you do. They don't grow very fast up here, and they're kind of disappearing. So I always recommend keeping them under nine inches in length. But a seven and a half to eight and three quarter inch bluegill is a really nice bluegill still. Oh yeah, and that's a big one to some people. But so I'm not. It's not a real strict thing. I just you just uh, if you take all the big ones out, the the whole lake will stunt, and they prove that they never come back on their own. So. Uh, and as far as crappies go, crappies don't have that same hierarchy structure, uh, you know, but still, you put them back for your neighbor kids or your kids to catch them again, and uh, 
the, the, the 10- to 12-inch crappies are the best eaters. The 14- to 16, come on, that's like eating a bath. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Great, great advice. Hey, let's take a real quick break. Uh, we're with uh, Bro, Brian Brosdahl from Bro's Guide Service in uh, Minnesota. Uh, probably the authority on ice fishing in the United States. So one of my favorite guys out there, Brian Bro Brosdahl. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Bro on We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. Be right back after this. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. We Fish ASA is back. I'm Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, Brian Brosdahl talking about ice fishing and talking about what are good to eat there's a big step in between uh finding a place to go and and putting those things in the fry pan and that's catching them let's talk about the equipment necessary ice fishing uh you know used to be that uh, all you needed was a five gallon bucket and a little tiny rod and 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 you'd be good to go uh, you can still do it that way. You can spend thousands between a camera, electronics, a, a, a fancy house, all that stuff, and, and most people are somewhere in the middle. Uh, let, let's talk about it. What What do you need to get out there and uh, and do it in a in a at least a halfway decent way, equipment wise? Well, the, the most important thing I think for people who are heading out, if you fish panfish you have to have an AquaView camera, and AquaView cameras aren't expensive. You, they're all different levels. You, they can be cheap, you know, just uh, just a little over 100 bucks, up to HD levels, and HD anything is expensive, but, you know, with an AquaView, you can see the, the bluegills and crappies, and you can go hold a hold until you find them, and you drop the little micro camera down, you look for them, and then you fish there. Uh, I think that's super important. Uh, you know, a GPS system like a hummingbird is, is very important, too. If you're in large water, it's just safe to have uh, a GPS to get back because if you drill holes going out, 
you want to go the same way. And if, you, if it's snowing out, how do you find your way back? Well, on large water, you want to have a GPS and a plotter line. And that's the thing with uh, Hummingbird and Lake Master. It'll help you. So, you know, these, these aren't really expensive unless you want all the extras with them. But uh, so, you know, you look at the cost it is for living nowadays. It's very inexpensive to go ice fishing. So a lighthouse, a pop-up, pop-ups have really become huge nowadays and it's just a little tent that pop, literally pops up because it's like a turkey blind and you can bring a little heater so you should really be well equipped for ice fishing for under five hundred dollars and so and it's not like one and done when you spend that money all your stuff that you bought will be there the next time you need it and you know the the electronics are the the key thing though because with mapping and bird's eye technology you could you can see a map, and then it shows where you're at on the lake, and you can guide your way through using that. It's it's more success, and if you're taking kids fishing, you want success. And, uh, uh, you know, so I, I would say those are the basics. And then as far as fishing equipment, rods, just like open water, you can get a cheap rod. We call them disposables, and that's a bad name for them. But you can get a, <laughs> a fishing rod and reel in, in the 20s that you could put some light line on and some uh, Northland tackle and and go out there and hit the ice, but but you still have to plan how you're gonna execute and and make it happen. And uh, so it, it's affordable. You could you could just like you say go out there with a bucket, a chisel, and some uh, jiggle sticks if you just want to dip your toe in. But you don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars like in open water to be equipped like a pro. It's not a hundred thousand anymore to have a great big fiberglass boat with a four hundred horse and all the electronics. You're talking about one hundred fifty grand now. I right, right, yeah. You can have a you can have a snowmobile. You can get one used. They're all over the place, and uh, you can have a uh, get a snowmobile for fifteen hundred bucks. A used one that's reliable. Check them out, and then have your stuff, and you are equipped to go anywhere. A four wheeler, a three wheeler, an electric bike with uh, spikes on the tires. Uh, hey, the sky's the limit, but if you want to be set up like a pro, if you want to have everything you could have for ice fishing like a pro, it's a fraction of the cost. You could be set up for, for ten grand, and you're ready to hit a tournament trail. Huh. That is, uh, that's an interesting uh, interesting take on that. If somebody asks me what, what kind of rod uh, should what kind of rod and reel should I get for ice fishing, I say two. They go, what's a two? I go, you need two. Don't get one. You need two because if you've got one and, and and you break your you break your jig off, boy, that is awfully hard to retie back on. I really like picking up that backup rod and using that instead. Uh, it's it's hard to, it's hard when your fingers are frozen. You know, my fat little fingers have a hard time with uh, knots on two pound test line to begin with. Uh, I would like to avoid that. And I would prefer to have multiple rods. Uh, do you agree with that, or do you have those special fingers? Oh, I I absolutely agree. You know, I've designed rods for Frable and stuff, and I wanted rods that were affordable because I'd rather have you have two or three rods than one expensive one. And, you know, there's the sky's the limit with rods and ice, too. Now you can spend $500 on a, on a handmade crafted rod in, a, in, a, in an expensive reel, but you can still find really decent rods in that, uh, all that $40 to $60 range, and they come with a, in a combo. 
it, it's not the rod, it's the line that's the most important. You know, I use sunline. They always go light. You set your drag so the fish can't break your line and have multiple rods all tied up ready to go. Uh, you know, it, it's, I, I need cheaters now to tie really thin lines, so make sure you're all rigged and ready to go. And, and you know, even if, if you don't have a rod holder, just uh, get the PVC pipe, put it in a bucket so your rods ain't slapping and tangling. It'll make the experience better. Uh, organization is everything. So before you go, if you have a, if you have a, a garage attached or in your basement, rig up a bucket, a simple bucket, and put the PVC pipe there to hold the rod, the rod butts, and all you got to do is screw them together. And you can do all this stuff for under ten bucks. Uh, and I'll tell you, it'll make you happy when you're out there and you're on the frozen tundra trying to figure out how to catch fish. And like you said, you break off or you have an issue, just grab another rod. And uh, it's all about finesse. And you use a rod that's designed for the bait you're using. You don't use a super ultralight with a heavy lure. Use an ultralight with a light lure, and you have to have backbone if you're using a spoon or a rattle bait or any of that stuff because uh, it, that, it's the same physics as open water. Rods are designed for different actions and different lures, and, and you'll be happy if you, if you just follow those steps. Talked about uh, the panfish, which uh, you love, uh, walleye, uh, uh, northern pike. Uh, I don't, most people don't fish fish specifically for muskies through the ice. Most people don't really fish for bass through the ice, but there's a lot there. But there are other fish available that are really good that you can catch through the ice that most people don't target in open water. And I'm thinking like whitefish. Uh, there aren't a lot of whitefish fishermen, but I know there are people that guide on, uh, on Green Bay uh, other other areas that uh, absolutely slay the whitefish, and if you want fish for home, uh, the, the limits are usually pretty good on those. The fish are bigger. Uh, you, you get to bring home a number of dinners. Uh, uh, a burbot. There's another. There's another fish. Am I am I right in saying that there are people that are targeting these off brands? Oh, you know, I'm telling you right now, whitefish are super popular. Eel pout. If you've never heard of an eel pout, those are super popular in this area, and uh, and all all those different species. But you don't you don't see anybody fishing for them in open water. Uh, Tulabees, whitefish are actually they're kind of like a gigantic minnow. They eat insects. They swim around, and, and muskies and pike eat them. Uh, but they're really delicious, uh, especially whitefish, because you can play them like a walleye. Uh, just the last step, instead of a, their lateral line being straight up and down, their lateral line is slightly curved. Right. So you get two strips of meat. And, I mean, a lot of restaurants have made their name off of whitefish, but they're, eat, they're so much easier to catch it through the ice. Eel pout tastes like lobster, and uh, they used to consider them trash fish. Now everybody wants them. And they're in super deep water, and they eat crayfish. And uh, they got really firm meat, and it's like, like playing a catfish, the back strap and then the tail. And you chunk it up, and uh, it's 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 a lobster of fresh water, a sturgeon through the ice. Uh, it's starting to really catch on big time in different areas. And uh, and there's a big fish you have to drill. You take a 10 inch auger and you drill a clover leaf of holes because they're so big. You got to be able to fit them up the hole. Uh, and and uh, lake trout are another fish that people will fish here and there, very few places, but. You know, even up here, there's lake trout lakes all over the place, and, and they're mine pits that they stock lake trout. And 
there's a fish that's in deep water that is not easily accessible. Uh, even if you got a kayak, you know, on, on big water in 200 feet of water or even 100 feet of water, lake trout are available. There's so many of these different species that are available through the ice that uh, are pretty hard to catch in open water. Take finesse. You have to sit still. You have to be straight up and down above them, and you have to cat and mouse them. Uh, and, and eel pout are a nocturnal animal, but as they get uh, as we get later in the year, they get close to spawning. They come out during the day, and there's a lot of lakes. Even uh, Winnebago, uh, Green Bay, like you say, uh, have all these species in them. Uh, Winnebago has great eel pout and giant sturgeon in uh, Green Bay. Well, you can catch a ton of those uh, whitefish over there, and uh, I can tell you uh, they like spoons, but don't forget to bring uh, bloodworms. Northland makes a bloodworm. I brought one there once. They weren't hitting anything else, so I put a bloodworm down, and they were racing up to hit it. They recognize it. Something they eat, something they're looking for. Uh, it's, it's, it's about matching the hatch. That's the most important thing when you're out there fishing. And even with different species and odd fish from... Uh, uh, that you don't fish in open water, you still have to have the right presentation. Excellent. Excellent information as always. He's Bro, Brian Brosdahl, Bro's Guide Service. That's the website. Check it out. Uh, if you haven't seen Brian, you're not looking because he's all over the place. He's a social media uh, master, there's so much video out there. Uh, he's the best. Uh, no better way to learn about ice fishing. And if you don't get ice and you're sitting there scratching your head going, what are these goofy guys talking about? Take a take a quick vacation. Head on up to Minnesota, the Dakotas. They've got resorts that specialize it. They've got trips that are unbelievable. They'll get you out to, to your shack hole. You'll be out there living large in, in warmth while you're fishing. Uh, it's it's a new world, a new experience. Ice fishing is phenomenal. Check it out, Bros Guide Service. Hey, Brian Brosdahl, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it as always. Uh, say, say hello to the lovely Heather for us. Uh, we, we appreciate uh, everything she does in the world of fishing, as well as you, the one and only bro, Brian Brosdahl. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, th thanks for having me. Awesome. Always, always. The one, the only, Brian Bro. Bros doll. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank our guests for today, Dan Johnston from St. Croix. We had Joe O'Pogger, a director of communications for Major League Fishing, previewing the upcoming season. Big red press coming up. And then one of my guys, Brian Bro Brosdahl. He is the goods. Boy, oh boy, you want to learn about ice fishing? Just Google Brian Bro Brosdahl, more than you'll ever need to know. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, Daiwa, we've got your bass covered. Yes, they sure do, Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week, available everywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget our website, wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, let us know. If there's something that uh, you don't like, we're willing to listen to criticism too, so fire away. Let us have it. WeFishASA.com. I'm Steve Surley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing.
I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.